If you have a Bible, I'd like to read a verse in the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, we're going to read probably one of the most famous chapters in the Old Testament. One verse from it. Isaiah 53, we're going to read verse 5. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. I think if I had it correct, Matt said that he had memorized this whole chapter. Is that right? Matt memorized the whole chapter when he was a kid. A lot of us did the whole chapter. I'm glad they chose this. It wasn't that long. Um, and uh, I was saved. I was saved from my sins through a verse in this chapter as well. And I think there's a lot of other people in this meeting who have been saved through, through Scripture in this chapter. So it's a good chapter to go to. And so we're going to read this verse together, Isaiah 53 and verse 5. This is what the prophet Isaiah has said. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. We'll read that verse one more time. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. We know that God will add a blessing to the reading of his word tonight. Tonight, what's before me, just this verse, I'd like to speak about Jesus Christ, and I want to use this verse in order to tell you about the gospel. And I use this verse because it's so clear here, so clear what he did and what was done for me. And I think that it is a verse that just, it sums up all that we want to say in just a few words here. I was thinking, just speaking about Christ, and we've been speaking about Jesus Christ each night about his salvation. I was thinking tomorrow marks the 50th anniversary of the United States of America putting two men on the moon. You'd say those men that we put up there on that July 20th day in 1969, you'd say remarkable, 50 years tomorrow. We've never been back. It couldn't have been that good of a destination, right? You'd say, but we did it. And when I was thinking about some of the facts from that day, I was reading today and it said, it took 400,000 people to put a man on the moon. You'd say, what a cost to put your soul in heaven tonight. Just takes one man, Jesus Christ. Just one man. We're going to read about him. He, that's how the verse starts. One man to put your soul, to take your soul from going down to hell and to guarantee you that your sins would be forgiven. It took one man, God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible, uh, I was also reading there about the men who went up, Buzz Aldridge and, and Neil Armstrong and Michael Collins. And, and I was reading just an interview there, and it said that while, while the two men who went down to touch the surface of the moon, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, when they went down there, Michael Collins stayed in Apollo 11, the capsule, and, and, and he orbited to what we call the dark side of the moon. And in one of these famous interviews, and, and it, was a, it was something that was said here uh, in this article that I read that I had not heard before. It said that, that Michael Collins had said in that interview that at that point when that capsule went to the dark side of the moon, he considered himself to be the loneliest man in the universe at that point. There he was cut off from even seeing Earth from seeing the men that he had come up to that, to that moon with, the loneliest man. I, I thought when I read that, I said, I said, that's just an exaggeration. The loneliest man who ever entered this world was Jesus Christ. He wants to save your soul tonight because heaven's not going to be a lonely place. He longs for individuals, for other people in this meeting tonight to be with him 
and his father's house. And so think about it tonight, what we've read. The loneliest man to ever walk planet Earth was Jesus Christ, and yet he did it for you. So that heaven would be populated with sinners, but that heaven would be populated. To think about it tonight, that 400,000 men to put one man on the moon. To think that this evening, I can tell you, it took one man, one perfect man, to put your soul there at peace with God. To have assurance of salvation. Just took one man, Jesus Christ. I want to speak tonight about this man. I want to talk about the measure of this man. I'd like to talk about the meaning behind this verse, and I'd like to talk about the memory of it. So if you can remember those points tonight, the man, I want to talk about the measure of his suffering. I want to talk about the meaning of it, and I'd also like to talk about the memory of it. The man in this verse, I took uh, an English class, an AP English class in grade 11, and my teacher uh, was, was a phenomenal teacher. Uh, but I remember one day we were just touching on some biblical things. It was almost as though it was like mandated for the class. And uh, they, she had just made a statement about some of the Bibles. And, uh, and there were some kids in the class and they said, well, they said, we don't have to read that book anymore because it's just, you know, there are things in it that, that, that are just, you know, don't line up. We, we know it's not true. And uh, I said, uh, oh, I said, no, that's not true. I said, uh, I remember because I had, I had been saved two years before that. And I said, let me read you a verse because we were studying some of, some of the, the Psalms and some of the poetry. I said, let me read you something that sounds really good. I read Isaiah 53 and 5 and I said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. And I said, who's that talking about? And everyone said, that's obvious, Jesus Christ. I said, it was written 700 years before he ever came to this world. 700 years. I said, the Bible just doesn't match up just coincidentally. I said, it's perfectly planned. It tells us about one man, about one action. And here we read about this man. And you'd say, to talk about him, to talk about his identity, to talk about someone who came here, you'd say it's remarkable because just think about how the verse starts. It says, he was. Tells me something's already done. Everything that needed to happen for me to be in heaven is encapsulated in those words. He was. It was already done. He was. In fact, the Bible goes on to say, when we talk about Jesus Christ today, we say, we use that grand title, I am. He says, I am. I am the bread of life for those of you who are hungry. He says there, he says, I am. Matt has quoted it, the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, in the last book of the Bible, it says there, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And here's the man that we talk about. The man that this verse mentions. And it says, he was wounded. And it says it's all in the past. It happened 1,986 or 87 years ago. And you'd say it's all in the past. That he was something. He did something. But today, we don't go to a gravestone. I don't take you to a memorial and say, there, there's the was. There's the was. No, I, I point you to a man who's alive. I can tell you that he is today. He is a savior. He is alive. And the verse says, but he was wounded. And it tells me this. Something happened a long time ago. How, how often in your life are you glad for what takes place already? I mean, how many people here are not glad that you've already graduated high school, right? I know there's some people here who are still suffering, right? But 
How, how glad do you go back and you say, those 12 years accomplished, they, they set a foundation for my life and for my mind and the way I work. You'd say sometimes, how many people are so glad you'd say that, that, the, that, 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 that winter is over? Well, maybe not today, you're not glad. But you say, there are things that we look back on, we say, so glad it's done. So glad it's over. You, you, you think about difficult times in life. You think about some times of maybe difficult points where funerals you've had to attend and, and things that you've mourned and you say, I'm so glad that's over. We say that a lot about things in life. We say, I'm so glad that's over. You know, I can tell you from my heart tonight, I'm so glad that's over. Because without Calvary, I can never be forgiven. Without, without this man being wounded for me, I can never be guaranteed of a home in heaven. I'm so glad it's done. I'm so glad it's finished that my salvation does not depend on me. It depended on this man. And the Bible says he was wounded. The Bible goes on to tell me about the measure of it. How do you measure this wound? He was wounded, it says, for our transgressions. You know, there's, there's five different wounds you could talk about in the Bible. You could talk about contusions and, and lacerations, incisions, and you could talk about perforating wounds, and you could also talk about penetrating wounds, but, but all the wounds that have been known to affect men and women, and, and if you were in a hospital or, 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 or if you were in some type of a medical profession, you'd be well acquainted with all five of these wounds that, that can affect the human body. You know, Jesus Christ, he suffered all five of them. They put a crown of thorns into his head. They put nails through his hands. Uh, they smote him with their fists. Uh, they, took, uh, they took whips, and they, 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 they made his back. That's, the Bible says it's like a plowed field. They put a spear through his side. Every wound that man has ever known happened to Jesus Christ. But none of those wounds can save you. Not one of those wounds can save you. Uh, sometimes we make so much of it. All the paintings that are so famous of the wounded Christ on Calvary, and when you see him there, and, and, and he's bloodied, and, and the crown of thorns is ever such a present emblem in those pictures. And sometimes we see the, the, the piercing in the side. And who has not viewed a picture or a painting of Jesus Christ? Who has not worn a cross and had the man on the cross? And we know he's hanging there because of things that are going through his hands and his feet. But yet none of those wounds can save your soul. Not one of them. Because the Bible says here, he was wounded for our transgressions. Who did that wounding? Romans put nails in his hands. Romans took his back and made it like a plowed field. It was the Jews who delivered him to the, to, 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 to the, to the Roman soldiers and to the governor there. You'd say, there's so many people that we could say, they're responsible for what happened to Christ that day. They're responsible for those wounds. And we could point our fingers and we could say it was them men. It was those people. It was that court. It was that judge. Isaiah 55, 3 and 5 says, He was wounded. I'm here to tell you tonight that God did the wounding. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripe we are healed. The Bible tells me that God gave his son. God did the wounding. Why? God did it for me. The Bible says that so clear and so plain. As I, as I go through its pages, it tells me there about one who suffered. And you'd say, there it was that he did it for me. He did it for me. When I, when I measure wounds, I can't measure this. I can't measure what it meant 
for, for God to give his son and for him, the Bible tells us that he, he laid on him there. Our sins, our iniquities, our punishment was laid on Christ by God the Father. You say it was him who put them there. You say it's remarkable when we look at this verse to think that the man who was there was someone's son. And it was God's son who, who took the wound for our sins when he died for our sins. And there made mention, what a marvelous thing. And I go on and I say here the meaning of it. What is the meaning of this? We talk about the man. We've talked about how you measure wounds. But we said you can't measure this. It was our sins that did this to him. It was, it was, it was all that was wrong with us that did it to him. But tell me, what's the meaning of it? What's the meaning of all this? Because salvation tonight is locked up in this meaning. And when we prayed over here, we pray every night before meeting. We pray for the people who are in the meeting that they might get saved. There was a man who mentioned over there. And the first words that come out of his mouth was, we give thanks that there was a substitute. We thank God for a substitute. What's a substitute? Some of us know that from school. Uh, a substitute did what the teacher couldn't do that day. Matt's a teacher. He would know this right away. A substitute does. A substitute teacher does. We have substitute teachers in the audience. I forget. Substitutes do. If I'm wrong, just shake your head. Substitutes do what teachers could not do that day. The teacher could not get in their car and make it to school for some reason. The teacher could not write something on the board that day. The teacher could not do something. So the substitute steps in and does it for them. I had no chance of doing anything to get this sinful soul to heaven. I could not lift a finger. I could not utter a word. I could not pay a price. I could not walk somewhere. I could not get down on my knees somewhere. I could not pray a prayer. So I needed someone who was going to do something for me. The Bible says he was wounded for. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. You follow that? That he did something for me. He did something that I couldn't do. He, he took my place. He took my place at Calvary. Instead of me bearing that, he did it. He died for my sins. He's done it. I could close my eyes tonight. I could lift my finger. I could point to any individual in the meeting tonight without knowing you and without knowing how many sins you've done. I could point to anyone in this meeting tonight and I could look you in the eye. I could say, Christ died for your sins. I could say, Christ died for your sins. I could say, Christ died for your sins. I could say that based on the authority of the word of God. And yet there are some people in this meeting tonight and their sins aren't forgiven. Why is that? Why do some people want anything else but this man? And what he did in your place. The man is marvelous. You'd say the meaning, the meaning behind these wounds, you'd say, is, is, is more than human tongue can tell, nor mind can comprehend. The measure of it is beyond any medical terms that I could use tonight. In fact, to use medical terms, the Bible says in Acts chapter 13, they found no cause of death in him. In Luke chapter 1, it tells us there, they did an autopsy. And in Acts 13, it says they found no cause of death in him. And you'd say, he's the only man who when it come to the obituary, there was no cause of death in him. You say, he was wounded. The wounds did not 
You say the wounds that they placed on Christ that day, from the piercing to the spear to the crown of thorns, those wounds could never take his life. There was no cause of death found in him. In the obituary, it said no cause of death because here was a sinless man. Here was a perfect man. And yet tonight I'm saved because I know the cause of death. What was the cause of death? What was the reason he died? If it wasn't in him, what was it? It was for me. It was my sins. It was for me. The hymn writer says, yes, all for me. Oh, love of God. How great. How free. Right? That he died for me. Here is the meaning of Calvary. Here is the meaning of one who was wounded for me. That it was instead of me. That he died instead of David bearing his sins. He took my place. And the Bible says he was wounded for my transgressions. He was for me. Not only the meaning of it. As we look at these, these words, I think sometimes of the memory of it. I think of all that takes place sometimes when we think about um, we think about individuals that have been wounded for the U.S. We, we, we were talking before the meeting about, about different things that have to do with wartime, and I was referring to some of my relatives who have served in the military in that. And just thinking about it, I was uh, drawn back, I think it's 156 years ago, uh, this past July, that we celebrated um, 156 years since the Gettysburg Battle there and since the Civil War. Uh, and I was telling someone, I said, you know, you go up to, to West Point there and you, you see the cannons from the Civil War and they're turned into the ground because they never want that to happen again because that was the greatest wounds and that was the greatest death toll that the U.S. has ever known on our soil. 51,000 people died in that war. 51,000 people died in that battle. And you'd say there, you'd say, we would say, never let it happen again. And, and I was remembering the, the words of Lincoln there as in his Gettysburg Address. He says, he says, he says, long after today, men and women will never remember the words that are spoken, but they will remember the men who shed their blood this day, who shed their blood and gave their life here. He goes, men won't remember the words. They'll remember what happened, though. It's interesting because we don't remember what happened there, but we still remember the words. You ever think about that? It's just the opposite. We remember the Gettysburg Address, but you can't name one individual who died there. Maybe, maybe this evening, when we think about the memory of this, maybe tonight you couldn't be more distracted. Maybe there's other things on your mind tonight. Maybe there's someone you're dying to talk to on your phone, or maybe there's something else that's, that's on, your, on your mind tonight. There's anything else, there's something in your mind that you would do anything just to get past this hour. I tell you that the word of God tonight, I, I hope that it speaks to you. It tells us about the memory of this man. It tells me something, and it says he was wounded. It goes back, and it tells me about something that already happened. It tells me about something that's done, and it tells me about it in the past. And it tells me this, because of what happened there that day, it says that I have the chance to be in a place where there is no more suffering, where there is no more wounds, where there is no more pain, no more iniquity. There's no more chastisement. There's no more iniquity. It, we call it heaven. It's such a unique place because in that place, there will be soldiers, but there will be no war. There will be doctors, but there won't be any disease. There will be funeral directors, but there will be no funerals. There will be sinners, but there will be no sin. And it will all be possible because of one man, Jesus Christ, who was wounded 
for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripe we are healed. It's a guarantee from the Bible tonight that you could rest on. You could, you could take this. You could have it. I ask you tonight, in the memory of, of this verse, that it's so clear today, it's so pertinent today, if heaven was achievable by any other way, I want to know what your standard would be. What would be your standard of getting into heaven? What would be the cutoff point? What would it be that everyone would have to get over this in order to get there? I ask you tonight, what would it be? Would it be high? Would it be low? You tell me at the back of the tent what your standard for heaven would be. I can tell you the Bible standard. Bible standard here, repeated over and over again in this one verse, is that you have to have done something wrong. You have to have sins. You have to have transgressions. You have to have iniquities. You have to have messed up. You have to have been wrecked. You have to have been ruined. You have to have had, as it were, no hope for a future in heaven beyond the grave. And the Bible says those are the candidates. Those are the perfect candidates for salvation because that's who he came for. That's who he died for. That's who it was for. Him for me. Himself for me. And tonight, from these words, from these words penned long before he was ever born, they still have power tonight. Long after he has left this earth. He's coming back one day. He's coming back. You know, we've yet to return to the moon. They say we're going to go soon. I don't know why. It's pointless. He's coming back. It is not pointless. Jesus Christ is returning to this earth. It could be tonight. We have sung when they do the roll call in heaven and they mention names. Well, they mention yours. You have heard the good news of the gospel tonight. Your name could be written in heaven. Better than having a flag on the moon or your name there. Your name could be in heaven because of what he did, Jesus Christ. When he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripe, we are healed. You could believe that and you could be saved. Welcome to those who are here this evening. Uh, let's read together in three places found in our Bibles. And the first one is in the book of Isaiah. Chapter 45, Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah and chapter 45 and verse 22. Now, there's a lot we could read in this chapter, but we're just going to focus on this verse. Uh, Isaiah 45 and verse 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Now, let's move into the New Testament in the book of 2 Corinthians. So, 2 Corinthians and chapter 6. Second Corinthians in chapter six. And verse two. 
For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, in the day of salvation have I secured thee. And this is what I want to focus on this evening. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And the last reading is in the book of Acts, please. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Uh, Let's look now at verse 27. Now, Paul is speaking here in Acts chapter 26, and he's speaking to a man named Agrippa. And in verse 27 says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And that's all we're going to read. Uh, I open up those words in the book of Isaiah in chapter 45. Uh, And if there's something you'd learn today, if there's something you'd retain from this message that I have upon my heart, are those words found in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22. And God's word is saying this, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And when we're speaking in the gospel, we're speaking of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not speaking about a man or a woman to turn to David or a man or a woman to turn to me, or a man or a woman to turn to a church, or a man or a woman to turn to a 10-step program and change their life. The message of the gospel is how a sinner can turn to God, how a sinner can turn to the Creator, how a sinner can turn through Scripture and look with eyes of faith and understand that a God loves sinners and He sent His Son to be the Savior for sinners, and how the person of Christ went to a cross and died on a cross so that you and I could have eternal life. The Bible teaches, if this is your first time hearing the gospel, the Bible teaches this, that Jesus Christ came to the earth and he was born. And the Bible teaches that thou shalt call his name Jesus and the meaning of that would be for he shall save his people from their sins. And he proved that he would save his people from their sins. The Lord Jesus Christ went to a cross absolutely perfect, absolutely sinless, and he allowed men to take him and to place him on a cross. And they lifted the the person of Christ between heaven and between earth. And the Lord Jesus Christ hung on a cross and he gave his life so that you could have eternal life. And he died on a cross. He paid for sin. He overcame the power of sin. And he provides through the work of the cross forgiveness of sins, Past sins, present sins, and future sins. And today as we consider these words here written so long ago, they applied just then as they did that day to very now, even tonight. Those words, look unto me, that's God, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. There's a verse that would link to that verse if you're, and there's actually many all through scripture. Uh, But the verse that comes to my mind as I think of those words, look unto me and be ye saved 
all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. There's a man named Nicodemus who came to see uh, the very person of Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus told Nicodemus, a, a man who was a religious man, a man who did good in society, a man who would have done a lot of good works and known parts of the Bible. And Jesus told that same man, for God, listen to the, the, the words, very similar here. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And Jesus tells this man, for God so loved the world, John 3 and verse 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I wonder if there's someone as we're speaking in the gospel tonight and you more than anything else in the world, your desire tonight, what you have upon is your priority tonight. You came to this meeting and you want to be saved. You want to know for sure you're going to heaven. You're tired of the guilt of sin. You're tired perhaps of the shame of sin. You're tired perhaps of looking back to your life and seeing the darkness of your sin. And you're just hoping for a reset. You're just hoping for, you know what it's called? It's called a new birth. It's called being born again. You and I are born in our sin. The Bible says, in sin did my mother conceive me. Our hearts, regardless of what we look like on the outside or what we look like, our hearts are desperately wicked, the Bible teaches. Who can know them? And we've all become guilty under the law. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel is that as you look across the world, parallel across the world, all have sinned. And yet, although we've all sinned, there's one who came to pay for our sins on a cross. That's why God is saying, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And one could be saved tonight by that simple truth, looking unto him and being saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I was enjoying your city uh, this morning um, in the financial district sort of by Wall Street. I was just walking, just exploring uh, with my little GPS. Uh, and uh, I was walking and I was walking up Wall Street and just really observing, uh, frankly, the wealth or the perceived perhaps wealth that's all around me and people walking by in their suits and drinking their coffees and just seeming like they have life right at the tail. Like they have the, everything's their, their foundation set, their, their bank accounts are probably full. And I continued walking up that street. And if you go to one wall street and you continue, there's a church. It's called Trinity Church, I believe. But uh, I walked into that church and there's a beautiful landscaped cemetery. And as odd as it may seem to you, uh, I did venture into that cemetery. I'm always curious of dates. Here's the thing. Death, pay attention, younger one especially, is no respecter of age. Death is no respecter of where you come from. Death is no respecter of how much you're worth or your pedigree or your heritage or what family you come from. Death is no respecter of persons. And as I walked through that cemetery, it was very interesting because uh, most of the dates were in the 1600s or the 1700s. But I noticed this, uh, this, th these words on that particular tombstone, because if you come to uh, Chicago, I could take you to a cemetery where my father-in-law has, has passed. He was a believer. He, he died. He's in heaven today. And on that cemetery, there's six spots, and my name is there. My name. I have my own spot. And on that spot says, you know, Matthew Hebert, August 1, 1979, born. And then there's dots. You know what they're waiting for? The day that I die. And someone will come in and put my date on that date. Born in here, and died here. This is what this says, though, on these tombstones at Trinity Church. It says this. I won't even mention the name, actually, but I, I wrote this down. <laughs> I was just looking at one, and, but it said this. This person who departed this life on June 12th, 1802. Think of those words. 
They didn't even mention when the person was born. Just who departed this life on June 12th, 1802, in the 46th year of his age. That's it. <laughs> who departed this life? Can I tell you today, very solemnly, I, I, I might frankly just get at it tonight. Because there's a day coming when you will depart this life. And those words could be prescribed on that rock that will replace who you are. There's a day, friend, coming when you will leave what you experience as time and all the energy of time and all perhaps even your foundation of time and all the things that you have as a support in your life and you will leave that and you will enter eternity. And this, these words here said this, who departed this life on June 12th, 1802 at the age of, or in the 46th year of his age. I'd like to ask you this question. If that was your stone and Preachers perhaps walked there, or family members walked there, or a church visited there, or maybe your friends from school visited there, and they looked at those, th those words, this person departed from this life on such a date, would they know for sure, based upon your testimony, based upon your testimony of faith in the person of Christ, that you're in heaven? Because that's all that matters tonight. There's nothing else that matters. I I've never been to a tombstone, and uh, on that tombstone said, uh, you know, David Zudeman, worth $300,000, and, and there's a big, no, none of that. You know what happens? He's born one time, and there's a day coming, he will die, and will show up to that tombstone, as sad as it may be, but he's in heaven, because he came to trust Christ. And it just struck me today, just the solemnity, as you go through these things, just walking away from the dazzle and the splendor, perhaps, of Wall Street, and all the busyness, and all the, and you get into that little cemetery, and it becomes really quiet. And you look at all these rocks that once occupied seats, perhaps in a church, perhaps occupied seats where they knew hymns or knew scripture. And where are they tonight? I can tell you based upon scripture, based upon the authority of this word, that they are in heaven today based solely if they came to trust in Jesus Christ. Solely. That he lived, he died, he paid for their sins on a cross, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. We've said it so many different times. I love that uh, Brother Dave mentioned it. But Jesus tells Thomas those words. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You'll get to heaven through Christ. You'll get to heaven through Christ who died for your sins on a cross. You say, well, uh, what about my sins? I was, uh, you want to test someone's sins, you get stopped in the traffic that I was stopped in this morning, this afternoon, and Patience runs thin, but um, I was picking up a friend at the airport who's with us tonight, Paul, and uh, to go 13 miles, I think, took me two and a half hours, <laughs> uh, but I was stuck downtown, and on the sign, which is just trying to encourage individuals to take transit, not the car that I was using, <laughs> uh, it's interesting, I saw this sign, I'm going to read it to you, but uh, I'd love for that person who wrote that sign to come visit me <laughs> when I'm dead stopped in traffic, it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant, but these are the words that it said on that sign, it said this, if you're stuck in traffic, technically, you're part of the problem. <laughs> you know what they're trying to get you to do? Is go through the subway and go through the trains or go through the mass transit and get something and get off the road. That's what it really is. And there's people in traffic and they're sitting there just like I was. And there's someone beeping from my back and the front and the sides. And they're just crushing me into this, this circuit here. And I'm thinking, you're right. I am part of the problem. I'm here in traffic. I could have taken a train. But you know where my mind went is this. There are individuals that I run into that perhaps have complaints about life or challenges in their life, in their experiences. I teach in a, you mentioned I was a teacher, but I do teach in a, in a gang-populated uh, neighborhood. I would say 99% of my kids are all gang members, and so are their parents, if they have parents or they've been killed on the streets. And those individuals will give me stories of their life. They come from violent homes, if, if, if homes at all. 
But the problem is this. As they complain about their problems, and I look back to my life and complain about the challenges that I have and the hiccups that I have and the waves that I have, but here's the problem. It's us as sinners. The heart of the problem, pay attention, is the heart. The heart of the problem is the heart. It wouldn't take you very long. You could go right, and we mentioned an affluent area, but you could go right through this area and you'd find sin because the heart of the problem is the heart. I could take you from this area and we take a helicopter and I drop you where I teach uh, in the inner city where um, just a few months ago, as I was teaching, there were gunshots outside. I sent the picture to Paul, but there were gunshots and the windows were blown out and I'm still teaching. And my kid said to me this, Mr. Hebert, don't worry about it. This happens all the time. It's normal to them. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, I'd rather, no, listen, the problem is sin right across the board. We have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And the wage of our sin is death. The wage of our sin is death in relationships, death in our relationship with God, death in your life as a physical life, death, spiritual death. The Bible says that we are condemned already because of our sin. I'm thankful today that Christ Jesus came into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the message of the gospel. Christ Jesus came to this world to save you from your sins. So just consider those truths as we just look at those words. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I could have turned to the book of Hebrews in chapter 9, and it says these words in verse 27, and it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. So friend today, not, not to get too serious, but there is something that's, that's, that's overshadowing this audience, and it's this. There are individuals here tonight, and you're going to heaven. That's because of Christ. There are individuals here tonight, and you're not. It's not because of what I said, but it's what the Word of God says. You have never had a relationship with the person of Christ. And tonight, as the gospel goes forth, it's a moment where you're, where the role, as it were, can be called. It can be called, and your name can be known. And you could have perhaps come to the gospel setting like this, never hearing the gospel, not knowing anything about the gospel, but you leave this meeting understanding two truths. I'm a sinner, and Jesus died for my sins. That's it. And you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. Let's just look here at the words here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 because they are solemn words. They we reminded of the same truth in Amos chapter 4. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, we hear these words, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Not next week. You know, I was I, I waited uh, for 22 years of my life to get saved. That doesn't, that's not something you brag about. That's just, that's just something showing you and I the grace of God working in my life and having patience with me in my life. And even though I understood scripture, even though I could quote Isaiah chapter 53, uh, and, or I could do that really all day in Psalm 22, and, but it didn't mean that I was going to heaven. It didn't mean that I was saved. And here the writer is saying, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If I was to read to you Amos chapter 4 and verse 12, it would say these words, prepare to meet thy God. There's a day coming, every person here. You say, calculate it, past 100 years, these seats will be empty, they will be occupied by someone else. Hopefully, if the Lord has not come, and he's coming. But where will you be in 100 years? The Bible says, prepare to meet thy God. One could have come here unprepared and leave this meeting tonight prepared on your way to heaven. Not because of what Dave said, not because of what Matt said, but because of what the word of God says. Him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Christ said it. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. We can do this all night. There's a free offer of salvation. It's through the person of Christ. God paid everything. And you tonight can know your sins are forgiven. One preacher has mentioned these words. I was listening to a man 
by the name of William McCray, he preached the gospel, but he said things that I really enjoyed. He said, it's not refreshment that someone needs or reformation that someone needs. And there's individuals that would come to a church perhaps just looking for refreshment, looking to hear good words. Uh, the words of it, that you're a sinner are not nice words to hear, but God says it. God says there's none that does good. No, not one. He says, it's not refreshment or reformation that one needs, but regeneration is what one needs. Understand? It's not refreshment. It's not something that we need to, to please our hearts or to please our minds or to please our confidence or, or to boost us just a little bit. It's regeneration. The soul that sins, it shall die. And the soul that sins, Christ came to save that soul. I am come, Jesus said. Why? To give them life. And life more abundantly. So that's what he says here. Not refreshment or reformation, but regeneration. He says it's not more sacrifices you need. Do you know anyone is, uh, and they're not saved? And they would say, you know what, I'm trying to get to heaven, and I keep bringing sacrifices. Maybe I bring them to the church. Maybe I make offerings. I'm sacrificing things in my life. I'm fasting for a particular reason to get myself to heaven. He says, it's not more sacrifices you need, but salvation. Andrew would know uh, Obregón de Mercio. You know what that is? And he'd know the name of the statue that's over there. Uh, but he can attest to this. Is there a 100-mile stretch between the two towns? Something like that. It's far. It would take you a few hours to drive it. In a place in Mexico, there are individuals, thousands, not hundreds, thousands, like the town, and they'll walk on their hands and knees all the way to a statue just to worship in hopes, pay attention, just in hopes to get some merit to get to heaven. Friend, there's nothing you can do on your own to get to heaven. The work has been done. It's been done through the person of Christ. It's not by works lest any man should boast. That's why you and I can be saved through grace. It's unmerited favor. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what one has said anyway. And there it is. And he's on a cross. And he's dying for sinners. The same writer said these words. It's not rules you need, but a redeemer. As we preach the gospel, it's interesting to come in contact with people and they say, well, well what rules do you follow? Or, or I, I'm afraid to join a religion. Friend, listen, we're not preaching a religion. We're not trying to recruit to a particular church or an organization. We're just trying to point you in the direction of the person of Christ. We're trying to point you in the direction of God who loves sinners and gave his son to die for sinners on a rugged cross. You say, well, is it that serious? Like I have a lot of life left. Maybe you're younger. Is it that serious? I could show you at Pacific Garden Mission. I could take you there. I could show you where we speak. And there's a few hundred people or a couple hundred people in the audience. And right, uh, actually, brother, right where you're sitting, there's a man who would sit there. And a couple of us would go down there and preach. And he'd sit where our brother is sitting, right behind Andrew. And as we'd open up the Bible, this is what he'd do. He'd take earmuffs, silencers, and he'd put them on his ears. And he'd just sit there and smile. It was very, very rude, right? Uh, it's not as right. I mean, I've had people spit on me there. It doesn't really matter. Right? But this is what he does. He, he puts this there. But one night, as he rejected the gospel, as he continued to have those things on, and he'd smile, and he'd look like this. That's all he'd do. Okay? But one night, as he did that, he started to go into convulsions. And Brother Kerwin kept preaching, and he fell on the floor. And one of the security guards told us, he said, keep preaching. And there he was on the ground, and his convulsions stopped. And the paramedics came in uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, and they picked that man up. You know what the problem was? He was lifeless. He had gone from time into eternity, and they wheeled him out, and the gospel kept going forth. Solemn, your life, friend, death, no respecter of persons. And that's why scripture is telling us, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day 
of salvation. I don't have time to touch uh, Acts chapter 26, but you hear this story here of the apostle Paul, and Paul is preaching the gospel, and Paul is speaking of his own life story, how God came into his life and spoke to that man's life and changed that man's life from Saul, who would have persecuted Christians, to Paul, who's in love with Christians. Only God can do that. Only God, Frank, could open Lydia's heart. That's what you hear. The Lord opened her heart. And he comes into Saul's life, and he changes Saul's life. And now Saul becomes Paul. And Paul now is speaking the gospel. And he's already told uh, Felix, who's now a procrastinator. He's already told uh, Festus, Festus, sorry, who's a, who has the fear of man. But now he's talking to Agrippa. And he's telling Agrippa, listen to the words that he tells Agrippa here. It says, King Agrippa, Paul says, I can almost picture him as he's presented the gospel. He's pleading with King Agrippa. And he's saying these words, King Agrippa. Believest thou the prophets? He says, I know you believe. I know you believe what I'm talking about. And then Agrippa says to him, and it's a solemn truth as Agrippa there. Uh, what's the words in Mark chapter eight? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And Agrippa lost his soul. Agrippa tells Paul these words. Almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. In our vernacular, he's almost saying this here. In such little time, you've almost convinced me, almost, to become a Christian. But there was something that held them back. I asked you, friend, tonight, what is it that holds someone back tonight? Why is it that some are not saved in this audience? Why is it tonight that there are some destined for heaven above and there are some in this, audience, uh, uh, this meeting tonight destined for hell beneath? Why is it that there are some in this audience that are dying in their sins still when the message of Christ and the gift of salvation that's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord is open and it's available just for you? You can have that tonight. I mentioned those words, him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I don't have time. I was going to share a story with you, but let me just end with the words here in Isaiah chapter 45. Look unto me. Now don't look to a preacher. He can't do anything. Don't look to a church. They can't do anything either. But look to the word of God. Look unto me, the Bible says, and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Come to the person of Christ tonight. Come with eyes of faith and realize for the first time that he paid for your sins in full. Past sins, present sins, and future sins. And you can know for sure your home is in heaven. Why? Because God's word promised it. And Jesus Christ died on the cross to set you free from the payment of your sins. Let's pray.